Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Strange Sound. Wow, we're almost in the double digits here. This is exciting. Off to kind of a slow start here at Strange Sound, a political podcast brought to you by me, Joe. My name is Joe. Glad to be your host here on Strange Sound once again. Well, it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Um, those of you who listened to episode seven, my most recently posted episode, uh, will notice that it was actually recorded on Easter weekend. I released it this past, I believe it was Wednesday night. Um, so it was produced, recorded, um, well over a week before that. Um, the reason for that was that I ended up in the hospital. Um, after Easter Sunday and after the, it was actually the Tuesday following Easter Sunday. So Monday evening, um, I started having really strong stomach pains. Like I had a stomach ache basically. And, uh, it was a bad one. And I've had bad stomach aches before and it's not a chronic thing, but I've had bad stomach aches before. And I didn't think much of it. I've had, like, stomach flu. Like, um, the last one I remember having was in January of 2017 when Trump was being inaugurated. I thought of it as being a case of trumpetosis. And I got tremendously sick to my stomach. And I was uh, puking my guts out and all that stuff. Um, I can remember hearing um, portions of the inauguration um, and the aftermath of the inauguration, like that... uh, first press conference, that first presser that um, Sean Spicer did where he was um, claiming that it was the biggest inauguration in history, period. Um, I remember hearing that from upstairs lying on our guest room bed, writhing in pain and hearing that bizarre exchange coming up from downstairs and thinking, oh my God, what are we in for? And little did I know that it would be far worse. Anyway, that was the last really major stomach problem I had. Um, So the Monday after Easter Sunday, uh, I had a stomachache. I had had a big dinner, um, and I just thought, well, you know, something didn't agree with me. And uh, I recorded the balance of the podcast. I had begun it um, on Easter Sunday, and I finished it um, that Monday night and I had this bellyache through most of it. I don't know. Maybe it sounded like I had a bellyache just by the way I was speaking. Hard to say. Um, you tell me, but it got worse and it got worse and it got worse. Um, sometime after midnight, we called nine one one. 
The paramedics came over. They checked me out. Because of the COVID-19 thing, I wasn't too crazy about the idea of going to the hospital. So I, I asked them, do you think I should go to the hospital? And they said, well, it's up to you, which is kind of a typical uh, medical professional thing to say. I don't blame them. Um, and I, I basically said, well, do you think based on my condition right now that it would be wise for me to go to the hospital? And they seemed to think that I was going to be okay. So I, I turned it down. I sent them off and I figured, well, you know, we'll see how this goes. And I read, I wrote it out for the rest of the night and early in the morning, uh, I was doubled over and I put in a call to my general practitioner and he told me that I should go to the hospital. Um, based on my symptoms, uh, he was good enough to return my call. And so we once again called 911 and the paramedics came over and put me in an ambulance and brought me to the emergency room and I was admitted. Um, it turned out I had a, um, this is like, didn't see this coming at all. This had nothing to do with covid it was a uh, abdominal obstruction, uh, which I had surgically removed over the course of a couple of days. Um, they tried to treat it without surgery, um, initially by inserting an NG tube, which is a tube that goes into your nose and down into your stomach and basically pumps the contents out of your stomach to give your stomach a chance to sort of recover and start operating properly again. And hopefully whatever obstruction was in the way would be cleared away. That didn't work. Um, I had numerous CAT scans, that sort of thing. And they decided they had to go in orthoscopically and remove this obstruction, which they did. And... I went home the next day, and then I had some abnormal swelling, so I went back in the following day, and I stayed overnight and was kept under observation um, and then released um, on that Saturday. So suffice to say, I was a little busy. Um, I didn't get a chance to post episode 7, in a timely fashion, but it was, it's kind of an evergreen topic at this point or not evergreen, at least, um, uh, green for a while anyway. Um, so there you have it. There's that. Uh, it gave me the experience I'm describing anyway, gave me a, uh, pretty good look at the inside of the, um, healthcare system that we have. Um, I'm not, I've been a frequent visitor to hospitals as a, as a visitor to sick people, um, over the years. I haven't been a patient very often. I've been to the emergency room before, maybe once as a patient, um, but never been admitted before. This is the first time I've ever been admitted. This is the first time I've ever had any kind of procedure. Um, so it was a shocker. It was a real shocker, but, it did give me a look at what it's like, you know, what it's like to be in the belly of the beast, so to speak. 
Uh, there's a lot of really dedicated people at our local hospital, so I, I have to give them a shout out. They they did a wonderful job. Um, nursing staff was top of the mast. I really, I really uh, am grateful to them for everything they did, and they're you know consummate professionals and kept my spirits up. And uh, I owe them a great debt. Um, of course, the bills are going to start rolling in soon, and that's the other part of the healthcare system that uh, we all know about. As it happens, um, this episode, episode eight, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the economic crisis that's facing us as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic um, and the response to that. A lot of people being thrown out of work, millions and millions of people being thrown out of work, businesses shut down. I keep thinking of all the little restaurants that we've patronized over the years um, and how so many of them are probably not going to come back after this. Um, and what a devastating situation this is for them. What a devastating situation this is for a lot of informal workers. I'm thinking of all my musician friends. I spent many years as a musician um, in the informal economy, and it, it's just killing them. It's just killing them. The stand down, the lockdown, the close down is necessary because of the nature of this pandemic. We obviously have to do this thing, but it is really, really hitting people hard. And it's hitting uh, states and localities really hard as well. We haven't seen the fallout from that exactly yet, but that. That is the next shoe to drop, it seems to me. Starting to hear some rumblings about it um, in our local media. Um, like the county um, the county executive in, in our county um, talking about it a bit. Um, some local officials talking about it. The revenues are down. Sales tax is down. Costs are up. Um, a lot more people hitting the hospitals. Uh, a lot more people in need. Certainly, you know, um, unemployment way up. And federal help is uh, arriving in some people's inboxes, but not others. There's a lot of suffering going on. Um, and it occurs to me that the federal government um, can help states and localities in a really fundamental way. It seems to me um, that there's an obvious approach that they can take to doing that. There's a way that they can approach this I haven't really heard anyone discussing at any great length. I mean, one thing about this pandemic and the resulting economic crisis is that it's laying bare um, all of the weak spots in our society 
in our economy, in the way things are arranged, in our healthcare system. It's it's demonstrating the degree to which um, our social infrastructure is inadequate to the task of providing for um, people in extremists. You know, people who are being affected by an event like this, no fault of their own. It's There is no simple way to get aid to people on a mass basis. And we're hearing this, um, we're seeing this in terms of the unemployment system most acutely, it seems, because in so many states, and I'm thinking of Florida as a particular example here, the unemployment system is set up to be difficult to use, to be discouraging. Um, this is, you know, system. These are systems that were configured most recently during what would be considered boom times. Um, politicians eager. Um, I'm thinking of Rick Scott, who is now a senator from Florida, but was governor of Florida. Um, set it up in Florida so that it was really hard to get unemployment. He did not want people to be filing for unemployment because that makes him look bad as governor. But it also they also want to discourage people from um, ringing up the charges. You know, they don't want people living off the public dime. It's terrible. So um, that system is broken. That system is inadequate. We really don't have a simple system for getting aid to people when we need to aid people. Um, Similarly, we don't have a national health insurance system that would enable people to get health care beyond the scope of their employment. And now we're going back to the question of, you know, is it a good idea to have 160 million people or 170 million people dependent upon their jobs to have health coverage? Uh, a few weeks back, that was being touted as a great thing. Now I'm not so sure. Part of what we're seeing um, is an effort to fund people's health insurance by sluicing money into COBRA, which is essentially um, you're laid off, you can stay on your employer's health insurance plan, the employer-provided health insurance plan, but you need to cover both your contribution and your employer's contribution, which in a lot of cases, I know certainly in my case, um, it's something like the employer covering something like 80% of the premium cost, along with other elements. I've talked about this on previous shows. But that, um, if you can cover that, that's great. You can stay on your policy. But that's a tremendous amount of money for most people, particularly when they're unemployed. So one of the ideas that I've heard floated, and I think maybe it was is part of one of these aid packages, is um, one of these federal aid packages, is pouring money into COBRA so that people can hang on to their employer-provided health insurance and giving them a little bit more wherewithal so that they can cover that 
large portion of their health insurance that is that is paid for by um, by the employer. That seems like a really dumb way to insure people during a crisis like this. In fact, it's a really dumb and inefficient way to insure people, period. Now, we do have single-payer type systems in place. We have Medicare. We have Medicaid. And it seems to me one way that we could, since... (laughs) Since the federal government is in the in the uh, business now of spending hundreds of billions of dollars at a time, sometimes trillions of dollars at a time, it seems to me like a really simple way to not only help people um, on the on the margins, keep them covered by medical insurance, but also to help states and localities would be through the Medicaid system. In other words, Medicaid currently is funded by the federal government up to, um, with matching funds, up to something like 60% of the cost of the program. Something like 61 to 62% of the cost of Medicaid is covered by the federal government. And Medicaid goes into a lot of things. It goes into... um, health insurance, health coverage for for people who are impoverished. It goes into um, health insurance for poor children um, or children below the poverty line or a certain, certain um, income threshold. It goes into uh, skilled nursing care for elderly adults. Um, Medicaid covers a lot of those things. So uh, you have the federal, and then there's the Medicaid expansion in the states that allowed this. Um, A number of states allowed the Medicaid expansion under the Affordable Care Act, and uh, New York is one of them. Um, So Medicaid um, covers people um, a little, I forget what the formula is, but it's well north of the poverty line you can apply for Medicaid. Uh, What the federal government could do if they wanted to help the states and support people during this crisis and shore up um, the health coverage that they rely on, what they could do is start picking up the state and local cost of Medicaid as it's currently comported. So right now, the federal government through matching funds pays something like 61 to 62% of the cost of Medicaid, the entire program. Right This year, it's somewhere in the realm of $400 billion. That's the federal contribution. That's 60%. So, so the... Um, the states probably pay more on the order of um, like half that. So, you know, $250 billion covered by the states. I don't, that's, that's a number I'm pulling out of my ass. But that's, 
just assuming that 60% adds up to somewhere around 400 billion. Um, it wouldn't be that big of a matter in these, in this period of, you know, spending $2 trillion or, you know, leveraging $4 trillion in bailout money to large corporations. It wouldn't be that big of a deal for the federal government to say, okay, during the, during the course of this crisis, we are going to cover all of Medicaid. We are going to fully fund Medicaid. We're going to pick up the Medicaid budget for all of the states so that all of the states and all of the localities that have to contribute to paying for Medicaid, and this is a big part of like county budgets as well as the state budget, that those dollars would be picked up by the federal government. That would take an enormous burden. Now, it's it's true that the states tend to exaggerate the degree to which Medicaid affects their budgets, um, but it is a large line item. It, it may not be the largest line item. It's usually well below education, um, maybe 20% of state budgets on, budgets on average um, are the state contribution to Medicaid. Um, but still, that would be a tremendous help, it seems to me, to the states um, if the federal government could just pick that up. At least for the length of the crisis. And by the crisis, I mean not only the COVID-19 pandemic, but the ensuing economic crisis um, caused by our response to the epidemic, our necessary response of social distancing, social isolation, that sort of thing. By the way, um, I should mention, I myself am social isolating because while I was in the hospital, I was exposed to someone who had COVID-19. I believe it was one of the staffers. Um, they found out later, uh, the health department in my locality gave me a call and said, I have to isolate for uh, 14 days from the date of the exposure. I am asymptomatic. I haven't had any symptoms. Um, I don't think I have it, but I am sticking close to home. Not that different from what I've been doing, but still, here we have it. So my point being simply, and I, I think I've made it, is if the federal government really wants to help state and local governments survive this crisis and not lay off thousands and thousands of workers and not cut services at a time when they're needed the most and um, and cause even greater follow-on effects from people being thrown out of work and being furloughed and that sort of thing. One thing they could do is take some of that money that they're spending on, you know, um, sluicing into the big banks and spend it on Medicaid. Just fully fund Medicaid for the length of the crisis. Now, 
it's an open question as to whether they actually do want to help states. I mean, this week, Mitch McConnell was talking about states declaring bankruptcy as a realistic option. Um, They seem a little reluctant to bail out the states, calling it the blue state bailout, Um, largely because the larger states tend to be having more, more problems. The states that have um, a higher level of public services. So they tend to be more blue states, more densely populated, right? So this is the game they're playing. It's, it's, so it's an open question as to whether they actually do want to help the states and whether something like that could ever fly. But it just seems to me that um, that might be a step in the right direction. And it would be a relatively small line item given given some of these um, rescue packages that have been passed recently, like the you know two trillion dollars practically that they spent not all that long ago, and the half a trillion dollars that they just spent last week. I'm not against big spending, not at all. I mean, I think ultimately what we're going to have to do is kind of reconcile the accounts a little bit by canceling some of the tax cuts that uh, were passed in the first year of the Trump administration and maybe, you know, hiking taxes a little bit higher on uh, on people who are doing particularly well. But we'll see. Also, uh, you know, we have a $750 billion a year military budget. Um, we might want to take some of that money divert it to something like pandemic anticipation and response, some kind of integrated system, well-resourced, that would allow us to anticipate these problems since this is obviously a problem that's that we should be paying attention to. It's not like this COVID-19 crisis is unique. We are going to have other crises like this. Um, they may be specifically caused by COVID-19, that particular strain. It's not going to be limited to that strain. There'll be other strains as well. There'll be other COVID-19s. And we're going to have to be ready for that. And we're going to have to try to anticipate that. But if we're serious about helping not only workers and elderly people and kids and families in all of these states, um, one of the things we can do, and I'm not suggesting that this is the only thing we need to do, but one of the things we can do to keep the states from going bankrupt, as Mitch McConnell thinks they should do, is to, again, fully fund Medicaid so that you can take that massive line item off of their, off of their plates for uh, for the full duration of this crisis when state revenues are going to be down they're going to be they're going to be in the toilet for months at a time um, and the demand for services are going to be high and people are not going to be able to pay for it because they're not going to be employed it's a tremendous tremendous burden on these budgets, these state budgets, these local budgets, even at the level of service 
the relatively low level of service that we offer um, even in the more generous states. But still, we're talking about thousands and thousands of people who are employed by state and local governments um, who's, you know, who could be facing layoffs. Um, that puts more pressure on the system. That brings down um, the level of service at a time when it's needed the most. We need to see to this. Um, and that's really the only thing I had to talk about today. Except that, uh, God, I'm glad to be out of the hospital. And I don't want to go back. Ever. Though they're very nice people. Anyway, that's my tirade for today. Um, I am really interested to hear what you think of this. I would like this to be a conversation. Um, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever, Stitcher, wherever, um, you can visit our site at anchor.fm slash strangesound, all one word. Um, you can leave a voicemail on our site. Um, you can reach out and contact me. We're on Twitter at strange sound pod. Um, let me know what you think. Push back. Tell me why this is a dumb idea. The Medicaid thing, whatever, maybe one of the previous topics I've raised. Um, I'd be happy to turn this into a conversation. Um, I don't pretend to know everything. I don't pretend to be right about everything. God knows. But uh, I would I would love to have an exchange with whoever's out there and listening. Um, in any case, thank you for listening. Great pleasure to be back. I can't tell you how good it feels to be back. Um, and I hope you're all doing well out there. Um, until next time, thanks for listening to Strange Sound. We shall see you.